Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is X Job Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Phil Noisy Norton. Now, Phil, I hope you don't mind me calling you Noisy, but that was your nickname in bit the job. Bit harsh, bit harsh. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know how you got that uh, that nickname. Um, Phil, thanks so, so much for coming in today and it's lovely to see you after all this time and you yeah, look you, mate. remarkably yeah. well. Thank you. Where did it all start? Where does Where does Phil Norton come from? Well... Phil Norton was born in 1964 um, in the grand borough of Southend. Um, Southend boy, true and true. Um, family was was a South London family, but came over when my, my father um, moved occupations and, and started working in Southend at an insurance broker. So that's that's where we were born and bred. Uh, me, my two brothers and my sister, um, born up in Eastwood. Went to Eastwood schools and then uh, through the... the we all went to Westcliff Grammar School. Wow! Um, still, it's still a question in a lot of people's hearts of how I actually managed to get to grammar school. Oh, I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> I am not the uh, most academic of people that that, that you will meet in life, and um, yeah, no. So we 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 started life really great, great life, very good, solid family structure. Um, Based in the local church as well, we were members of Eastwood Baptist Church. And, you know that was that was my upbringing. My parents oh, was it really? My parents were part of the church life and oh. helped run the church. For, you know, so church w- was in my blood from well as far as I can remember. So you know, brought up through Sunday school and things like that, and a, and a, and a boys' club called Covenanters, where um, that was an eye opener because it was a, a boys' club. Um, run by my dad Roy and his friend John Sterry and Tony Rouse. They all ran this boys' club. But it um, it recruited a lot of young lads that were probably on the on the edge of um, society. Yeah. Uh, came from Eastwood in the old days, which were Eastwood Senior School. So it was a bit weird that a, a grammar school boy like me and my brothers would be, you know, enjoying the company of a youth club, boys' youth club, old-fashioned, you know, doing lots of things that they're probably not allowed to do now because of health and safety and, safety. and risk assessments. But, you know, it, 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 it did us the world of good, and it did me the world of good to be, um, you know, enjoying it, playing football with them, down competitions, uh, you know. So it, it was a good, it was a very good upbringing, um, but not very academic. So I realised quite quickly that... Um, I probably shouldn't stay on for A levels in my in my so grammar what did school you years. Do? Well, this is where my my father, who absolutely amazing, he he obviously realised that I'd talked in different ways about the police and stuff like that. I don't ever remember sitting down having a conversation. Oh, Dad, I'd really like to be a police officer one day. I don't remember that. But he came to me one day when my my mother and father probably had a conversation. You know. Um, what do you think? Do you think he's going to be allowed to stay on to the sixth form? You know, what's his academic? Is he going to go to uni and all that? And they probably very realistically and um, and very happily for me 
came to me and said, well, Phil, there is this thing called the police cadets, um, which was uh, an opportunity to leave school after what was fifth form. Um, now I think it's year 11, is it? Yeah, 16 yeah. or 15. So take, take, take your courses. O levels, but then that's just sort of that, that's over. And think about the police cadets. And that really appealed to me. So we started going through all the brochures. So we applied to Suffolk, Essex and the Met. Uh, Suffolk weren't recruiting at that time. So I was going through the process of um, going into the Met. So I was come up to the age of 17. Um, and both of them, I was go- going through the, the procedures, gone through all the, the fitness exam and the doctor's thing and the entrance exam, doing okay. And then the Met came back and said, congratulations, you've passed, you're in. Brilliant. You start. So I looked at my dad and went, oh, my goodness, this is a real possibility. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think I need to go for it. I want to I want to try. I want to, this is completely out of my comfort zone, you know, away from home, away from everything I knew. Um, not really too sure, but hang on. We've been, I've been throwing a lifeline there. Why don't I go for it? So... We made the decision. I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, 1980, September 1981, I joined the police cadets in the, in the Metropolitan Police. Brilliant. I'd been there for about a week, maybe 10 days, and then a, a letter arrived at home from Essex Police. Congratulations, you've been accepted to Essex Police Cadets. You can start in January 1982. And I said to my dad, well, what do I do? He said, well, it's really up to you. And I said, well, I'm here now. I've sort of been here a week or so. I'm, I'm sort of not quite settled in, but why don't I stay and just give it a run? And that's what I did. And where was here? You're at Hendon. So at Hendon, yeah, in the old police cadet. So Hendon, then in those days, was a as a huge estate of um, you know gymnasiums, swimming pool, running tracks, the old driving school, skid pan, the detective training school, the police national computer was based there. Um, obviously, the police training college, and it had its own hospital for all the people on wow. site. Uh, run alongside the old tube um, up to Collindale, so it's a huge, huge place. Big drill square, all the accommodation that, that we we needed, and it was just um, it was it was just a fantastic place to be. You know, I I didn't really realise what I was joining at that point. Very young, very naive Essex boy, um, plucked out of that life, thrown into London, and um, you know, a lot of drill, a lot of sport lot of um, education as well because we had to carry on our education. Oh, so, did you? I, so I took another three O levels, um, did really well as an ex grammar school boy. I got two U's and an E. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you can think, that the education at that point in that environment wasn't my priority. No, so of course. Learning how to march, learning how to uh, play the side drum. Uh, doing judo every day, you know, I mean, it was just incredible. Fantastic. But, but, but also learning, starting to learn what is policing all about. So looking at police studies, looking at, you know, some low-level laws and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So we, we were being prepared and being tested um, to see whether you might make young police officer status. So I at Hendon for a year, then I went to Crystal Palace, uh, stayed at South Norwood, digs for for six months and while I was there I did um, an attachment to 
the Clapham Rehabilitation Centre, which was absolutely eye-opening when looking after people with what we would probably call now special needs. I don't remember that term when I no. was that that age. I remember, um, you know, meeting people that were that various stages in life, whether it's through illness or mental conditions or mental medical conditions, just being their friends. And one, one of the one of the stories that, that I always I cannot understand what on earth was going. So I'm a young police cadet working at Clapham Rehabilitation Centre, 1981. No, 1982. Phil, can you take these three guys shopping in Brixton? And I remember saying, "Oh well, yeah, okay." Completely naive. So just just got them. I think one was in a wheelchair. The other one was a guy that you sort of almost had to hold his hand. He was probably in his 30s. A big, strong guy. I don't know what his ailment is, but big big and strong. Um, and we're walking through like the back market in Brixton Market. I had no idea where I was, the tensions that were going on. Um, this chap come up to me and offered me something called ganja, which I, and I looked at the others and thought, what on earth is he talking about? He said, no, it's all right, mate. I'm just looking after these three. And it, it was only later when I was chatting to my mates, this guy come up and they went, oh, you're an idiot. You're, you're, you're completely naive, wet behind the ears. You've got no idea of this How big funny. wide world. Do you know, so, so yeah, that was, that was my plot start of my police career. Then I went to Hendon. Um, yeah, did okay-ish, uh, not great. Scraped through. Um, went into Central London then and served for a few years. Did a few different things. Whereabouts in Central London? So I went to a place called Cannon Row, which is right next to Parliament. So literally, it was. I don't. It, it, it probably still exists the building, but if you think of where Scotland Yard is now, the yes. new Scotland Yard, that is actually built on the back, back of, of it. the Cannon Road Police Station. It, it that does I still exist, I think, and I think that's where the DPG come out of or certainly... That would probably be right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went there, um, yeah, again... When that's they a said, nice central base as well. Yeah, but they, they said, you know, young man coming out of Essex, what, where do you want to go in London to, to police? All I said is I'm not sure where I want to go, but where I don't want to go is central London because I've, <laughs> I've, come, I've come to be like a community guy you know i want to help people you know and uh, in in the truest sense of the word but i was thrown there um lots of um lots of parades lots yeah. of you know stopping traffic because of you know vips were hurtling through things but uh yeah that was interesting and you're I'm only like, a few you're literally a few minutes walk from horse guards parade yes Trafalgar Square, yep. Parliament Square. Exactly. So you'd have all the tourists. Can I yep. have my photograph with you, Buckingham mate? Palace. Buckingham Palace, yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, officer, who lives here? Yeah. Uh, well, that'll be the Queen of England. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's the name of this building? <laughs> uh, Buckingham Palace. <laughs> oh, great. What what street is that in? Oh, my goodness. Really? <laughs> Why don't you just get out of my face, mate? You know, but you didn't. You couldn't. You know, no, it was always, oh, this is the mail. Yeah, yeah. What number? Number one. Do you know? So it was a lot of, lot of touristy stuff, but it was in the evenings. It was, you know, uh, central London. We were, like you say, Trafalgar Square, 
Villiers Street down to the embankment. Yeah, you know there was a variety of work that we that we were rushing around doing. Yeah. Then went on the uh, we had what we called divisional support units, which is a it was still while the SPG was a thing, right? But we had like a divisional version of the SPG, so we would be in a van, um, all uh, right trained. You know, I've been to Hounslow, I've been to Greenwich, done all my right training, done all that sort of stuff. Because I was a fairly big guy as well, I fitted in the 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 image of, you know, calling up the reserves. The reserves come around the corner, you know, ten blokes get out of a van. All six foot four. Yeah. Yeah. Been eating raw meat all day, you know, yeah. let's out, let's out. And 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 obviously we 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 did used to deal yeah. with issues that, that we were sent in to deal with. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a particularly violent guy, or you know, but I I do know that I was in a season there where I was seeing more violence because we were the answer to violence in a in a yeah. low level way. So we got you know sent to um, to East London on the um, I think it was Forest Gate. Nick got surrounded, Newham Seven demonstration, and our job was to to fight our way through the crowd to get to the police station because the police station was utterly surrounded and there's you know not many not many guys in there so we were asked sent from central london in a convoy of three van loads you know they're all pumping themselves up on the way there and you know and we we rush out and we we fought our way to get to the police station to then put a cordon to protect the building protect the people inside wow. and all the rest of it so it was just as a young guy it was a lot of it you're doing out of obedience, you're doing it because this is what you're serving, you're not quite sure of all the implications of, of everything that you're involved in. You know, we did the, the, the minor strike we did. Um, the, the biggest emotional one for me was the whopping News International oh, yeah. strikes. That was so emotional. Yeah. And people don't realise it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not defending policing but what I can do is say, from our side of things, it was very, very difficult. We were thrown in what we perceived to be somebody else's problem. Yeah. You know, whether it's Rupert Murdoch you, you liked or didn't like, or, you know, but there were people that we would probably have a decent conversation with. You oh, know, yeah. You know, guys that coming past us, but taking out all their anxiety, all their event plus rent a mob as well because there's always yeah the the different parties and different activists that latch on to any rebel for any cause well this this is it and 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 you can as a young even as a young fairly still naiveish but not naive anymore i've had my eyes opened i could you can see them you could see that you're saying to these people what are you doing here mm. you aren't helping the guy that guy over there He's struggling. He's he's lo losing his job, you know. And yet you're coming on. You're making this something that it isn't. Isn't yeah. And but we didn't have a voice. We just had to stand there. We just had to reset. But without fear or favour, and that's what we exactly. did. Exactly. Exactly. But it's literally, you know, we were called all sorts of things. You yeah. Know, rent a mob, and you know, you got a soul, and you know, do you know who's in bed with your missus oh. at home, and, and 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 that's okay. But hour after hour. Cold after cold, days after days, every now and then. And I'm not ever going to justify police officers, 
breaking out and, and using inappropriate no, no. behaviour or assaulting people. I would never do that. But in the back of me, I sort of almost understand. I won't justify it, but I can understand why in certain circumstances you snap, you know, day yeah, yeah. after day after. And then, you know, the barriers that you're standing behind, which in effect are keeping you back because that's what's happened after a few days. It's not about corralling the demonstrators and, and keeping the demonstrators from the premises that, to, so that they're not attacking the building. It ends up being, well, this this is holding us back. You You are... You are passing me very cocky and very close to me and in my face and being really because you know I can't get to you. Yeah. So every now and then there was a strategy or something happened and then the barriers got removed and then there was violence. Yeah. And, and, and as I say, I'm not a particularly violent guy. Uh, I did get myself involved in a few different things. Um, but mentally that was very, very hard. I ended up walking off one night and uh, much to my... I really don't. Again, I don't understand it. Um, I just walked off. I went. I went for half an hour, forty-five minute walk on my own in full uniform, wandering the streets of East London. Didn't know where I was. No. Ran the back of London Hospital, up and down the Marlin Road. <laughs> young police officer, no radio on me, Todd. Probably vulnerable, but I was. I'd had enough. The, the, the trouble is that, and you're, you're quite right, because when you're standing in that situation. Nobody knows what your private hell is, what what's going on in your life and your mind. So when you're, I've had it where they shout now. Oh, I hope you get cancer. I hope your kids die. You know, who's sleeping with your missus whilst you're here? All, all those things. It's forgotten that actually we are human. Yeah. That we have got a human side, yeah. and and the, the 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 compassionate side of the police service, which is enormous. It's absolutely enormous. It's not all about um, control or conflict or arresting people. It's the compassion, the social social side that gets lost. And I get really frustrated that the police service in general, they rarely broadcast to any with any success the great stuff that they do when you get the negativity that the police service are facing at the moment. There's nobody coming out and saying, well, actually... This is what we've done. We've helped this. We've done that. We're working in this community. No, we've we've they've turned over and said, yeah, we're really sorry. And there isn't anybody that I know. None of my friends think what um, those two individuals who remain unnamed from the Metropolitan Police. Nobody will think that what they did was a good thing. Yeah. But there's nobody defending the police and saying this is the stuff that we are doing. Yeah. Well, nobody's actually shouting very loudly about the thousands of police officers that when we as a as a group and as a connected group, and it's weird, you know, having retired 10 years ago, I still feel that there is some some connection or, or an understanding... Yeah, there is. Of, of, ..of when you hear, you know, a police officer has been doing stuff for, for so many years, like we're, we're currently talking about, uh, and gets, gets found out and convicted. The public... Uh, it's portrayed that, therefore... The public are right to be suspicious of all police officers. 
what what I'd prefer there to be a narrative of is a more realistic narrative that there is a representation of the thousands and thousands of police officers that are all shouting happy days, are cheering when these guys get They're caught. Up, yeah. When 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 we when it's found out the bad apple. Yeah. You know, we, we are the ones cheering louder than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't we don't see that. And I don't know, I'm not sitting here as a, oh, oh, oh you know, oh, isn't it so bad for me and all that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. No. But I am saying there needs to be this this sort of, I, I'd much prefer to see a balance. One of, one, of the, one of the phrases that I use now to this day is I am about telling a good news story. Yes. Cheering people on that are doing things that are good. Yeah. Because for far too long, and, and it still is going on now, even to, even today, you know, we, we catch a, a bad news story and it gets a lot of publicity and there's there's a lot of uptake, you know, we're thinking last week of a of a guy that didn't wear his seatbelt on a on a on a on a film shoot. Most people look at that and go, idiot. You yeah. know. Or I will go, who was the guy filming him? Who were the guys around him at that moment? Because he's got millions and one things going on yeah, exactly. in his mind. Who was the guy that pressed the record and didn't think, hang on a minute, I'm setting him up here. Yeah. He ain't got his belt on. Yeah. You know, uh, boss, if we're going to do this, you need to put your belt, belt on. on. Yeah. Oh, crikey me, yeah. Yeah. Or was there a conversation? He did have his belt on and then they're just chatting, oh, it looked better if you turned that way and this way and, oh, it looks clunky, I'm feeling restricted, I'll take my belt off. We don't know. No. But suddenly all the good news that that guy has possibly done on our behalf, and it must be horrendous juggling everything oh, yeah. that he's got to juggle, it, it's like about him not wearing a seatbelt. It dissipates. Exactly. Yeah. So if you turn that into general where we're at about good news stories and, and bad apples and all the rest of it and, you know, minor strikes, News International strikes, Broadwater Farm riots, you know, things like that, which, you know, for that season of my life as a young, single, ex-county guy, gone into London in a bit of a naive way, you, you, you start to understand the bigger picture. You know, one minute I'm standing at Trafalgar Square monitoring the traffic with my mate. Boom! What was that? That was new. Out of all the noise in London, mm. we had boom! And we looked at each other and my mate, the blood ran from his face because we knew something had just happened. And uh, It was the Harrods bomb. Oh, wow. The next... Minutes was just like it was something out of a bazaar that everything was quiet. E- everybody that was around, we were miles from yeah. from, from Knightsbridge. Mi- it must be two miles from Knightsbridge. Yeah. But it was it was one of those sounds You'll that goes forget. in your core. Yeah. And it shakes you and you go, What? And I looked at him and he looked at me and we looked around and you could see people were all like, Look at what I don't I don't know what that was. Then the chaos you know, Whitehall was just, it came to a grind, part Parliament Square. Then you start to hear all the emergency vehicles. And very vividly in my mind is a, a good mate of mine, um, Tony Egan, who was driving our station van that day, had obviously was up near High Park Corner or something like that. He got to the scene fairly quickly. Mm. Well, he, he called up on the radio saying, he's trying to get to St Thomas More, um St Thomas's Hospital, 
and we had to physically run up and down Whitehall and Parliament Square to move vehicles out because we knew he was coming and we knew he was coming fast. Mm. So we're, we're moving things out. We're getting up a, a, a pathway for him. Well, I, I, to this day, I, I watched his face as he drove his van through Parliament Square. He was as white as a sheet. He was like seeing a ghost. Mm. Because what I didn't know is in the back of the van at that stage, he had some very severely injured people. Wow. Do you know, when you, when you reminisce, when you talk like this, when you try and say to people that we, you know, we were guys just trying to do our job. Job, yeah. Do you know? And uh, and you get thrown into these, you know, political things or, you know, you're there representing some stuff that you've got no probable comprehension of what it is. You know, I've just been standing there one day and now I'm at, at Wapping and, and tomorrow I'm at Chelsea Football yeah. trying to keep everybody from fighting. I mean, what's that all about? And you're you talking know? to the same people that are probably on the picket line you well, we also did speakers' corner. Oh, which did you? I don't know if it still goes on. Yeah. It, it is where where there's a free for all. Anybody can come along and say and, what and they, say what they like. Say what they like, and it was very antagonistic mm. and very uh, actually. In other circumstances, we would be arresting them for breach of oh, the peace absolutely. or some public order yeah. offence or something like that. And 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 you go there and you literally, I saw you at Whopping the other day, or you were at the. Um, you know the march down down Edgware Road. You, do you just go to demonstrations? Yeah, and like yes, or they'll be outside South Africa House. Yeah, so one day they're freeing Nelson Mandela, then they're against Rupert Murdoch, and then they're at Speaker's Corner spouting stuff that is just provocative. And you think this is the environment that I it's toxic, isn't it? Uh, but I uh, but but then I'm I'm as a twenty twenty one year old ex county guy with this uniform on thrown into these right you've now got to go and keep the queen's peace mm. you've got to keep order you've got to prevent people you know stepping over the line and then if they do you've got to then react you've got powers you know when you lay hands on people that's you know that's official and i still remember there was a bit of not fear of the police there was a bit of res- respect bit of respect respect so but- i could walk around speaker's corner yeah. And I could catch someone in the eye and call them out, and they would come. Nowadays, probably you just I don't know. But can you ignored. imagine? Can you imagine that they were so well mobilised the way that they they did their protest and, like you say, South Africa House whopping. Can you imagine how easy it is now for for political groups to mobilise with Facebook and Twitter and everything else? They've they've it's all on a plate for them. Yeah. So, so it's so easy. So, so, I mean, literally, I'm sure there's some people that just their life is consumed. With oh, I know there are one yeah. demonstration, one cause, and all the rest of it. Now, this is interesting for me to say. So, so one thing I haven't said uh, all through this time, I am somebody that has been brought up within the church family, within faith, with with an understanding that yeah. there is a higher thing and and, yeah. and all the rest of it going on. So, where is all of that in my mind as well? So, I'm. This young, naive police, I was trying to trying to learn this. I've had a, this upbringing. I've I've uh, made a commitment, you know, to follow Jesus when I was a young man. But that sort of started to get a little bit put on the back burner. But I am still somebody of a conscience. I'm still very much in the community spirit. Yeah, you know, I used to laugh to think that um, 
you know, I, I, I did used to stand at places like Wapping and say, I am here because I want to help the community. Mm-hmm. And yet the community that I'm trying to help is walking past me and... and Calling your names on Absolutely. And as I said earlier, yeah, okay, we can all put up with it, turn the turn the other cheek and all the rest of it, but hour after hour, day after day, it, 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 you know, I, I, I haven't yet met anybody in life that wouldn't just lower their guard every now and then and mm. say, well, why don't you go and, you know, do one as well, yeah. you know, in the in the quietness. Uh, well, you can't now because it'll probably be recorded on YouTube somebody's and, mobile phone yeah. device and young police officer says this. So, I mean, it's, it's different days. But faith was also in my consciousness as well. So going to Broadwater Farm, going to Wapping, going to the Miners' Strike, doing Speaker's Corner, there's something in me also that what is this all about and all the rest of it. I didn't have many answers at that point. I didn't. I wouldn't say I was a fully church-going, Christian, spouting, whatever you want to call it. I wasn't somebody that was, you know, if my if you'd asked my shift mates, you know, is there anybody here of faith, they might have gone, well, we're not sure. You know, I wasn't so out and about that I was... I was going to ask that, were you overtly... Uh, you know, with, with your faith, as you are, you know, you're very overt around it now. But I suppose at 21, there's a lot of peer pressure, isn't there? Around massive, massive. I, I wanted to fit in like anybody else yeah, wanted to fit in. You know, literally. You know, you, there was a pecking order on your shift as well. You know, you looked up to the uh, the the area car driver and the van driver. They were like, well, you know, wouldn't mind being a van driver one day. Then I was a van driver, and there was like, people were looking up at me and thinking. What are you looking up at me for? It's because oh. you're six foot four. Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just a geezer that's, that's done a driving course, and I, I have to be now driving the van around rather than walking around like you are. Do you know? So it's all that going on, and trying to find out who you are as a person. You know, trying to find out who you are as a man. You know, what what is your ambitions and all the rest yeah. of it. So there's all these different factors going on. But also, I had this thing going. You know, what and, and faith at that point. I've got to say probably went back in the back of my mind rather than to the front of my mind. Um, But when that got reignited again, when I was in my early 20s, I had a a point I went to, um, I'd I'd met a beautiful young lady that's now been my wife for 35 years. Yeah, 35 years, got to get that right. but we, we st- there was something in me that reignited, oh, hang on a minute, you know, not, not only am I doing all this, not only am I in this position of policing and I've been doing it a few years now, I've also put this other thing in me, this other belief uh, to the back burner. But then it was reignited. This guy spoke at the Albert Hall. It was classic, you know. How many times have you heard it when people say... In amongst the thousands, I felt that they were speaking directly at me. It was one of those moments, and uh, so so I recommitted myself to my faith when I was twenty three, I think. About and what year was that? So that's that's about eighty eighty seven. Yeah, that would have been about eighty six, eighty seven. I transferred from the Met to Essex in eighty eight. Yeah, so but that been that no, that probably been about eighty seven, eighty eight. Right. That, 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 that Can happened. I just take you back a step because you yeah. talked about Broadwater Farm and that if yeah. there was ever an occasion that was going to test your faith, yeah, that was it because that's where Keith Blake lo- lo- lost his life. Yeah. Um, what was that like as a young constable? 
going to Broadwater Farm in the knowledge of he'd either passed away at that point or you were in the middle of a in the middle of a battle. What was that like? I th- I think from memory, on my way there, was probably the the most frightening time in my police career. Hmm. I've been to some things. I've been thrown in some violent aspects, you know, West Ham football fighting, you know, fighting in the middle of all the crowd, taking a few, you know, whacks to the to the stomach and, yeah. and ran head and, and all the rest of it. So, but but that I can remember, I I can't quite. I know that we were monitoring the radio, and that we heard what some of the police officers on the ground were saying, screaming. Absolutely. Bearing in mind that we were a disciplined police force, yeah. radio procedure, we know, you know, if you're not going to use the radio correctly, then your message probably isn't going to be yeah. getting out there as you need it to. But they were in such um, traumatic thing. Literally, you could... I, I probably, if, if I'm honest, it was probably one guy starting up his radio transmission but then he'd just get drowned out by the screams of his mm. mate next door and all the rest of it. And to hear that going on, it was, I mean, nobody in, in the van was mucking about. It was it was very Unnerving. solemn. I was looking at some very, you know, senior, more more ready, robust officers than I was, and I was looking at them, looking at them thinking... They're not. They're not mucking about. No. This is serious, and we were on our way. And you know, we we spent a couple of days at Broadwater Farm, and I've got to say that was something else. That was yeah. just that was just something else. Just the, and again, in in a in a, in a with a different hat on it, with different knowledge on it. Just for me. If if and I don't know what people listening to this you know podcast uh, you know I don't know where they're about in life I don't know what they're thinking so I'm talking to people that I don't I'm probably never going to even meet but yeah. if you are somebody that sort of is aware of other things that influence us you know in our subconscious in our in our in our different states of of thinking then in my subconsciousness when I arrived there there was. The only way I can extract it, it was tangible evil that we were that we were amongst. I'm not saying that everybody there that was demonstrating that that probably had an axe to grind and and yeah. I don't know if there were people there that had come in. Well, I know there was people that come in there from from other areas of uh, Tottenham and probably elsewhere that that have, oh you know this is kicking off you there know, for the fight. The old Bill were getting a kick in. Let's go and join in. Um, so there was that, but. But in amongst all of that, there was tangible sense of, of, of something evil, something something really dark going on, yeah. and, and that was horrible. So it was scary, it was frightening. Um, we had a few, um, uh, I mean, compared to the big violence, few what we would probably call scuffles, um, uh, and a few really nasty incidents over the next couple of days. But, yeah, that was not a great time. I think pe- people listen to this and it, it, to explain it, it hurts. When one of your colleagues gets killed, it hurts. But you, you get on with the job in hand. 
And even now, I will watch something. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. The two coppers that got killed out in in Australia, in Queensland, that hurts. Yeah. Because they're us. It's weird, isn't it? Oh, mate. I, I, honestly, I get so upset. Yeah. But that's what we are. We're, we're coppers. Yeah. They, you carve us in half and we've got police all yeah. the way through us. But, in, but but I don't really, If I, I you know, as I've explained earlier, I'm not a particularly academic academic you know i'm not i'm not stupid you know i'm uh, but i don't understand how that happens even even a guy of faith even though i know that we're connected you know i it, it's that same old thing isn't it you know you, you see somebody that that you haven't seen for like 15 20 years yeah. and yet you see them this this synergy it's incredible oh it is you know you see it, you it's almost like you've been in each other's pockets for the last oh, 20 no. years. Yeah, no, you, absolutely. You start off from where you left. It's almost like you just paused in a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you're looking at, there's, there's people in your life that you've got that connection with. Yeah. You know, even me and you today. We, yeah, absolutely. We, 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 we've never been like buddy buddies. No. You know, we don't, we're not massive ex-drinking part. But there's a synergy between yeah. me and you. It's really nice to yeah. see you. I met a, another colleague in, in a supermarket um, on a Saturday morning. And I pumped him, and after we, we hugged in the middle of Morrison's, yeah. and I'm going, and I was thinking, but we, we, I'm not even sure if we got on that well when I, we worked together. <laughs> but that's how we are. It's weird. It's a weird thing. You yeah. do feel it, yeah, and, and you do feel it. But I we're mean, family. It's, yeah, it's, but it's, it's a family thing. That, that almost, and I hear those expressions, and and some people, I mean, and I'm, I'm not, I don't find myself being a particularly fluffy flowery type no. of person but when we say with family for those for some that they were sitting there and go oh my goodness you know you're making me feel sick I, i'm not saying that but there is a connection that that we do feel that yeah. there's, there's something going on so even if something goes on like you've just expressed around the world you know what is it that that makes us feel that that is in any way something for us to feel about. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know them. We no. Don't, we don't know their lives. We don't know their backstory. You know, and yet we do feel something in ourselves. Oh, I, I can imagine what your colleagues in yeah. on your shift are now going through. Yeah, because we've know? been through it, haven't exactly. we? It, we we've, we've lived we've, that, we've walked that path. And we've lost people. Yeah. You know, we've lost people on our shifts. We've lost people in our, you know, different things. I mean, there was, there was a time... Uh, you know, even now, you know, I, I'm aware that there's some some ex colleagues of ours that are ill and that are are you know terminally ill. Yeah. And and you read a message, you see it flash up, I don't know, on a Facebook or something like that. You th- you, you sit there and think, oh, that's just another part of your life. That's a shame. Yeah, it yeah, is I, massively. I, yeah. yeah. And then other people comment, and then you go, oh, you in a funny way, it's oh. You're commenting. You're still here. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you start, oh, right, start ticking people off. It's like a roll call. You know, but is, is, is everybody it's, okay? It's one of those jobs, and I've said this before. Even if you're on a shift and you didn't particularly like somebody, but they're in a fight, you'd get out. You wouldn't. You wouldn't turn your back on no. them. You'd be out there with them. Exactly. And that's how that's yeah. how the police service is, yeah. and that's why I get really upset with the detractors. So 1988. You're now transferring to Essex. Yep, come to Essex because there was a bit of me still wanted to experience community policing, and I wasn't getting that opportunity in London. I, I, I'd taken various courses. I'd become quite a senior PC, doing uh, you know instructing other younger 
police officers that were coming along, doing the van driving, doing uh, communications. You know, you get certain skills within the the rank, which then makes you like, you know, oh, you can't go anywhere. If you go, we've got to retrain somebody or we've got to get yeah. somebody in with your skills. And I was getting frustrated at that. So I thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll knock on the door of Essex. I'm an Essex boy. And uh, very quickly I was accepted and got posted to Brentwood. Um, and then um, did a d- d- got got a little bit disillusioned then because the paperwork was a lot different from what I was used to, yeah. and um, wasn't enjoying that so much. Just wanted to to be flying around, helping people, dealing with things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, where there it was a bit, it was a bit more. All right, I've been out there, I've dealt with this, I've, I've got a prisoner in. Oh my goodness! I've now got to go and take a statement. I've now got to get a video. I've got to go and get the doctor's report. And I've got to put a file in. And oh my goodness! So so that was getting me down a little bit. So I went to um, my local chief inspector, Dennis Shepherd, and said to him, "This is what I was thinking." And he looked at me and said, basically, just summing it up, words to the effect of, "I don't think you've given Essex enough of a chance yet." You know, you haven't really given us a job. So before you go, um, I won't stand in your way if that's what you want, but why don't you go on CID? And I sort of said to him, oh, I've got no ambitions to go on CID whatsoever. I've never, I've never thought about that. I've, I've never, I've, I did an attachment when I was in London, didn't really like it. Uh, he said, well, go, go, and give it a, go and give it a chance. And I went on there for a four-week attachment. Um, there was uh, a guy there that had come from Basildon called Bob Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, he was my detective sergeant. And again, there was um, some stories going around about him and the reason that he'd been moved and all the rest of it. But then again, it wasn't my position to ask. But I, for, but for me, at that moment in my career, to be put aside such a senior detective... Who he was one of life's characters. Absolute character. Knew knew the ins and outs of the job. Knew how to get the job done. Um, I started to um, watch, listen, learn, um, and also beside the fact I was looking at him as a bit of a tutor, I also got myself involved in a an in investigation into some commercial burglaries and um was enjoying that. The I got the opportunity of staying on after the four weeks to carry on the investigations into the burglaries. So I did that, managed to get some arrests in, managed to put quite a complicated file together with a lot of assistance from the other detectives in the room. Um Keith Davis was was there as well and um Pete Nellis. Pete Holding, wow, I'm remembering names yeah. that I haven't thought about for ages. So, so it was a real. There was some real characters in that in that office, um, Ian Shed, uh, you know, there were, there were Eve Curtis that were all trying to help me be this detective, and I didn't really know that I wanted to be a detective. I got to the end of my ten week stint, and then um, I was given the opportunity of staying on to to finish off the file and everything. So I did that. Got, got myself to the point of I was now presenting it all at court. I think, oh, my goodness, I've, I've never had this experience before. Then another opportunity for another 10 weeks came up. Um, and then uh, there was a murder at Highwoods Hospital. Barry Bradford 
um, was killed by Lawrence Anderson Mullins, and I got myself involved in that investigation. Was that the guy that was hammered in the in the field in the outside in the hospital? In the hospital he, hospital was, he was, yeah, he was, he was just bullied to death. You know, he yeah. was by, killed by the Lawrence's um, bare hands, and yeah. it, was, it was not nice. No. It, was, it was a real, it was a real thing. But I got involved in that, and as part of the, you know, me and me and Bob and a couple of others put the papers together. So by the time that was there, I'd, I'd done my junior CID course and then got posted to Greys and went on to the department at Greys and was was doing that and was um, seeing all sorts of things at Greys that I'd never seen before, trying to keep up, didn't really fit because I wasn't a Greys, you know, I didn't come up through the Greys ranks and they were, they were quite, quite a tight bunch at that point. Yeah, but I'd, I'd made some really good connections there. Sue Harrison, who's my... DS, so that was good, uh, and then Ray Berman came as the DI, and he, because he's gone, he's a he's a, a vicar now. He is he? now a vicar. I oh, know you wouldn't have put no, the two together, well, would you? This, this is this this is part of my story. Is that there is other people that I now know outside of the job, having retired, that that have come to me and said, "Oh, Phil, you you didn't know this because later on, we haven't got there yet, but later on, I did become a little bit more affirmed in who I was and yeah. in my faith. And, and I had a, a bit of a, an experience in the office one day in, in the crime school office where we were a surveillance team and there was a conversation going on. And I thought there's a lot of opinions being thrown around here. Um, whereas actually I've got a slightly different opinion. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. My opinion is just as valid as anybody yeah, absolutely. else's. Yeah, why, why? Why have I? Why am I shying away from just sharing it yeah. from a different perspective, yeah. from a from a faith perspective? Because I was a bit more confident in my faith by now. I've yeah. you know married, had my children, was doing stuff within a local church, so I'd become a bit more um, comfortable with having a, a faith in something other than 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 what we we lived every day. So I was sitting there, and then. I retired, and then a few hours later, a guy that worked in my office contacted me and said, Phil, you didn't know this. While you were in the office talking about things of faith and all the rest of it, he said, I was agreeing with you, but I never told you that I was also a person of faith. Because of that whole pressure, that whole mystery and that whole... What a shame. uh, I sort of understand it sometimes because, you know, there is still a bit of a culture that, you know, you, you... are oh, you going to be laughed at? Are oh, you going to be mocked? Are oh, you going to be looked down on for whatever? Not just religion, but oh, yeah, anything yeah. that you sort of share that maybe you know uh, this is my hobby. I've never shared this hobby with you lot because you're ripped to shreds. Yeah, yeah, you know that type of thing. So I've got this faith. I've got this belief in something that I know that you particularly are against, or you and that you never say anything about you. You seem warm to it. So I'll, if I get the chance, and and if it's and if it's because, you know, we're there to talk about crimes and criminals and investigations. We're not there to, but we do have downtime when we're having a cup of coffee or we're having a bit more sociable chat or yeah. drinks after work or whatever. We can talk about our, ourselves and our lives and our hopes and our dreams. Yeah. So at those points, but even then, like Ray Berman, I'm pretty sure, unless he came to faith later on after. I'd worked with him. I don't know. I don't know his story. But he's now a um, Church of England vicar. vicar in Cambridge or something. Yeah. But you see, now I would, I don't know, and I'd love to speak to Ray and, and find out, and I will get hold of him, mm. because his persona was such that I would never put him and the church in the same room, if I'm really honest with you. 
Um, I, find, I think that's a fair assessment. That is a fair assessment. You know, and he's, he's a, a great guy and he was absolutely, I mean, him and Very me, motivated in everything, uh, he, everything did. he did. Everything, everything he did. Everything he did. I mean, when, when we were there at Gray's, we had a, an operation called Rolling Thunder. Yeah, I remember Four it, yeah. days of police warrants and all the rest of it. I mean, it was, it was a bizarre concept. But the thing that a lot of people took their eye off, a lot of what that was about is public confidence in the yeah. local police. A lot of it was there's a lot of stuff that we need to get on with and there's some nickings that we need to go and get on with. Right, let's write off resources. Let's have four days. The crime reported during those four days was almost zero. Yeah, We were out on the front foot. We had resources. We had uniform officers. We had detectives. We had resources coming in from around the county just to facilitate all the, the warrants that were going in, the arrests, the interviews, the the packages, the the... the the evidence files. So there was a lot of results. But that, on the back of that, and, and Ray was always, always talking to us about the crime stats and our detection oh, yeah. rates and, come on, lads, you know, we've got to keep this going. He had grafts and all sorts going on. So that, that was my period of time with him. Then he went, I think he ended up being superintendent in the Met. No, he uh, went to Nottingham with Mick Todd. Oh, yeah. He went to Nottingham with lovely Mick Todd. Mick Todd, that's another story. Yeah, I know. That's sadness, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but Ray, I thought he came back to East London, didn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, he did. He went, to, he went to the Met as the superintendent, superintendent. of Romford. Romford, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, you know, he's always a chit, and now he's, like, you know, running his church, and yeah. he's, he's happy, and he's keeping bees and all the rest yeah. of it. And this, this it, you know... I'd be interested, you know, when when did his journey of faith yeah. start? When did he have it in it? I don't know. I'd never felt... An, an epiphany, if you like, for one yeah. of a better, better yeah. word. But, um, yeah. Because you, you... So you're at Grey's, but you then go on to the Drugs and Serious Crime Squad yeah. from, so, from so, there? Yeah, so it was called the Central Detective Unit when I went on to it. So it was three teams, one a surveillance team, one a drug squad, and one the major investigation team. So I went on there with... Um, Brown White and Graham Hadley and uh, Phil Bridge, Billy Clark. Wow. Yeah. Some Quite real a... strong characters there. Well, they were all ex. I mean, I didn't really know Regional why Christ I was there. God. Yeah, Jason Wield. Me and Jason Wield had joined there from Divisional CID. And we were like fish out of water. Apart you weren't from... allowed an opinion there, mate. No. Uh, not Graham, until you Graham, your... Graham Hadley as well. He come from Division yeah. as well as, as our DS. But the other guys all ex-regional crime squad, you know, all being involved in covert policing for a number of years. You know, some of them were undercover officers as well. Um, Al, Al and Al, both undercover, yeah. you know. So it's, you know, I was in a like, whoa, how, how, hey, how have I got, George Florence was my DI. He, I think he was the one that, that wanted to change what it, what it looked like, you know. So they did want to be open to recruiting some guys from, division mm. um but but normally it was like you're coming back off a regional crime squad where they're going to put you i'll oh, put you in mis because that's yeah. where you know they fit so we were doing you know all sorts of undercover operations surveillance operations uh, internal investigations um the biggest one we did was uh, the retina murder you know we were we were out on a plot in south end somewhere on the day of it we'd we'd actually driven past um, the retina murder plot when we'd come through. We then got told back to headquarters and then we were deployed on that. So we, we worked on that for about two, two and a half years. 
you know, doing actually on the murder inquiry itself. Yeah, or yeah, the yeah. So that you had like um, you had like the incident, um, the 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 major incident team that were investigating it, and then we were doing all the internal covert um, tactics around just trying to help and trying to get to the bottom of who who had done it and how they'd done it yeah. and all everything else. So we 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 managed. You know, to open up several avenues. Some of them didn't go anywhere. Some of them were really off the wall covert tactics. Bob Scott was sort of advising on some of the. Some I of spoke the to co- him the other day. I oh, did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, again, him and Pauline, you know, really, really good characters. And, yeah, yeah. And, and had an influence in my my life at headquarters, which was which was really good. Um, so, yeah, we, we got involved in the, the Retina Murders and. and uh, amazing to see you know the tactics that were that i mean i went to zebrugga um collecting sand samples on the beach you know it's just just bizarre you know incredible and then, uh, yeah went to spain um, all on the all on all on Redden. that all on that all on um yeah just just doing some went to spain with um brian white for two three days you know looking at some of the other players that were that were around that. So yeah, lot, lots of lots of interesting investigations, lots of really memorable moments. Um Oh that I met Ivan Dibley. I, I had a coffee with Ivan Dibley on Friday as well. Wow. He's just yeah. done and it, this will all come out, but uh, we've just done some work with Revelation Films around that particular job. Right. And I think that Ivan's account will be definitive. It will stop all this nonsense about they didn't do this, they didn't do that. We know that Essex Police got the right people, locked up the right people. They are the killers. End of story. I, I am convinced, even to this day, and I've heard, I've seen all the films, yeah. I've heard all the story, I've heard all the rumours, I've been approached myself to to get involved in it. I can't remember what it was, but I, I didn't want to because I thought that they were a bit um, antagonistic. But... Um, yeah, I'm convinced. Oh. I'm absolutely convinced. When when you look at it all, well, and you, you look like, at what's you happened you see, see this, you'll you'll oh, right. you'll, you'll enjoy it because oh, right. Good. Ivan, um, he's 78 now. Wow, uh, he's as sharp as a box of razors. And when I approached him, said, "Look, we're doing this. Yeah. We're doing this piece of work. Yeah. Are you interested?" He said, "Yeah, I'm interested." He said, "And I don't care what they print." as long as they print my story yeah, and the way that I, you know, why we got to where we got to. Yeah. He said, because there are so many conspiracy theories about yeah. we didn't do this, we didn't do that, we did everything. We were, it was cutting edge. The way that things were dealt with on that particular inquiry were cutting exactly. edge. Exactly, exactly. And, and I know from my side, being a, you know, he's up there, superintendent, I'm down here, constable, we were given access to a lot of stuff that we wouldn't normally do. Yeah. So it was a privileged position. I know I was in the inner core of the the covert tactics. So looking at where and and I'm convinced. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. there's obviously stuff that you know we we won't want to talk about because it's still no. you know sensitive stuff. But that I'm convinced. So how was that though yeah. for you? Because you knew on the in the background there was Operation Apache, which was all to do with the that uh, was painful. If I if I'm yeah. honest, you know we we got we got delayed. Uh, not only on that inquiry, but on another inquiry as well, where we, in doing what we were doing, uncovered, uh, what's the word? Improper practices. Yeah, corruption, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to term it as. And, and it, 
and 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 it hurts, you know, when we're we're trying to do a genuine criminal investigation, and then we're like, we cannot ignore what is going no, on. No, neither should you. You know, we 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 have come across this behaviour that is not just people making mistakes or cutting corners. This is criminal, yeah. and they know it. They are in receipt of benefit because of their relationship. Well, how does that happen? You know, hang on a minute. That guy has told us that he was arrested by those two officers, but there's no custody records. There's no interview notes. Mm. There's no, sorry, where were you taken? That, what do you mean you were taken to that station? Well, that station, there's no custody suite. So how did the interview go? It was in an office of two people with no recording. That is wrong, Mm. out and out. What is going on? Right, so your alarm bells. So do you ignore it? No. We we couldn't on both of the investigations I'm thinking of, and, and there's another one, that that you think, well, we now, uh, we've unearthed a situation. We've got to deal with that before we can genuinely Get on present with, yeah. our evidence to a court of law that if they ask questions, what was this about, what was this about, well, we we've dealt with that. Mm. You know, we we are we are the guys that have come in and said, no, we, we agree with you. That is wrong, and we've dealt with it. So, in a way, you need to look at us to say, you know, we, we are here to represent the full and frankest of of investigations that we're involved in. So, you know, we did do that. So, that, so they were interesting times, and 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 it was. You know that, those sorts of things, and, and then coming to a, a point of confidence where you know you can run your own operations and that sort of stuff. So we 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 were there in in, in doing that, and and you know trying to uphold the law in the most difficult circumstances. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, I was at Braintree at the time, so it's it was an interesting dynamic for me, and I was well, working you, with Keith, and so I saw yeah. the other other side. I didn't know what was going on in the background. No, didn't have a clue. You know, no. totally as green as grass. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's that's how it's. We probably didn't know that. You know, one of the main guys to do with the retina murders was you know living in your living, living on our patch, back, and he was yeah. an informant for our office. Exactly. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, but but you see that because of that, the way that informants were dealt with changed completely across the nation. Absolutely. Because it was accepted that you and I, as detectives, would walk into a pub, we'd have a beer with somebody, we'd even put our subs in to get that money back for for a beer, but we would have got a load of information. But because because of what happened on that particular job, it changed the dynamics and therefore we were no longer allowed to get our own informants. No, it was all controlled. It was all controlled. It was all, you know, you had to go for special training yeah. to become a, a source handler and, 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 it, and it all got a lot more. And to be honest, it probably was the time to get things um, more or more organised in that way yes. because actually you do get a lot more out of the information if you are a bit more organised in how you yeah. deal with the information, how you make it, that the, the sources are protected like we wanted to protect them. So it probably was a good time to to do that. And then I became, you know, after um, I sort of came off of MIS, I went back to division for a little while, then I went to uh, FIB as, a, as an intelligence officer, but then a source handler. So then to becoming involved in that type of work was you know it, it was it was good work because it was very cost effective 
you know you're going to meet these guys you might you're investing in them you're you're trying to keep them um and then you you know you hope that the results that come out of them or the information they give really helps a, a uh, an investigation, whether it be a domestic burglary or it be a child abuse accusation, you know, you, you're cutting through months and months and months oh, of, yeah. of, of police time of investigation because you're getting to the, to the evidence. Absolutely. And and I hope, you know, I hope they're still doing that type of work now to this day, but I don't, I don't know. I think, I think they are. I think what it is, though, I think the frustration, bear in mind there's 1.9 million people live in Essex now. Um it's how many informants are cultivated, how many people have they actually got in the books. And I would imagine, certainly when I left, there weren't a huge amount. Mm. But criminals are criminals and they will give information. There are yeah. very few criminals, even in the upper echelon, that won't talk about somebody else, even if it's just to remove the other person as being a threat to their criminal organisation. But you put anybody in, in, the, in the right circumstances, you know, when, when the chips are down and when you're, when you're having to take stock... Um, you know, if you are encouraged in the right way, um, then yeah, that I think it was uh, people are daft and not to take that, take advantage of it. Take, yeah, because it's it's a you know it's an easy way out of, yeah. of for whatever you're going to get out of it—a reduction in sentence, financial gain, yeah, sorting out a you know an, an old you know ex-colleague that that you don't want to you know carry on doing what they're doing. So there's all sorts of you know grudges. Yeah. But but yeah, well managed, yeah, and properly organised with trained officers. I think it is a tactic, and I think it's a legitimate tactic. So uh, yeah. I hope that they're still doing it. So there were some benefits out of that particular inquiry. So your FIB, yeah, where do you go to then? Because you you have a c- catastrophic period in your life, don't you? Yeah. you, you, you what, what happens next? So I, from there, I went back to the the covert surveillance team. So I'd learnt surveillance when I first joined the CDU and I've become a surveillance trainer and, and I really enjoyed covert policing and being behind the scenes, um, having the privilege of getting involved in some pretty serious investigations whilst mm. I've been doing it. So I went back to be part of the team and um, uh, I was, I think I was probably acting sergeant at the time when when an investigation, because we, we uh, in those days, we were responsible for running our own investigations and doing the surveillance and doing the the evidence gathering and the court preparation. Right. Uh, and I was given an, uh, an operation to run on a on a on a drug dealer um, coming out of the south of the county, and started to investigate that and and realised that he's he was very very organised. Um, he was a businessman, but he was supplying multi kilos of cocaine into our county. Right. Uh, so he needed a proper investigation. It wasn't just something that you could just go and stumble on. It wasn't just to go and stop him in a vehicle one day. You know, we had to work hard at who who's this guy? What's he doing? What's his relationships and what's what's the system? So he's he was very organized. So he's he had a transportation network um which was separate and it was being run by one of the one of the transportation networks was being run by a, another local guy from the south of the county. But then there was also another group of runners and dealers and all the rest of it. So he he's he he was the guy with access to the commodity and he would be the one that was was getting the cocaine so that was my investigation to to look at him so we were doing we had various tactics uh, involved 
um, from uh, covert policing, um, monitoring, all sorts of things we were monitoring. Um, we had some of the highest level authorities in the land that you can get, and uh, we were we were keeping a check on who is this guy. You know, we've got this guy. He's not leading a particularly lavish lifestyle, which you know the best. Yeah, uh, I call them the best. The the more organised and the more um, the ones that make the most money out of it don't actually use it themselves. So he yep. was of that ilk. Um, but he was right, and his network was all over the country. We knew he had connections with. Um, Manchester, Liverpool, um, various other points of the south of the cat, but also into New- North Wales. Um, so we deployed various different devices and, and stuff. We were monitoring things. And in the middle of the night, one night, um, I was responsible for monitoring one of the devices. I started getting activation in the middle of the night, uh, decided to turn the team out. All the team were, were they'd been given permission to have uh, all the vehicles and all their equipment, all the resources at hand. So we turned out from home all over the county, wherever we lived, um, and we were making our way to try and get control of the subject in a covert manner. So we, we didn't have any resources around him. We couldn't, didn't have eyes on, um, but we knew where he was where he was currently was and where he was heading. So we were playing catch-up. And um, it started to take us out of the county around the M25, started to take us uh, along the M1, uh, heading north. Um, so I am now, as the supervisor, I've got to make decisions. You know, I've, I, I'm the supervisor of a county surveillance team and county investigation team with all sorts of uh, support at high level. I've got policy books coming out of my ear rolls because um, a lot of the stuff... That, that we were doing, we could make pre-decisions about it, make sure yeah, yeah. that if, if this happened, boss, are you comfortable if we did this, this? Yes, I'm comfortable. You do that to that degree. Um, but on this morning, with no physical hands-on, with no um, control of the subject, I felt that we were starting to follow a bit of a bit of a ghost. And uh, so I, I called the team and said, right, um, we're going to, call it off at um, um, the services on the M1. Um, we're not to go any further of here. So I called them up, and bearing in mind this wasn't in the these current days of mobile phones and it's a one call to everybody. It was text messages yeah. and all this sort of stuff. So I'd called the day off. But as I uh, was in the services myself, I, I must have been I, – I think I was in there on my own. I don't think I'd met any other surveillance officers. And I was sitting, and my last memory was that I was sitting eating a croissant and having a cup of coffee when the intelligence started to reform and we, we had a chance that we could actually catch right. him up and get eyes on again. So I quickly put the message out, no, 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 nobody stop, keep going, keep going. Um, take the M6 west. Uh, towards Birmingham and, and let's see where we go from there. So my last memory of this operation is is um, picking up all my stuff in the, the motorway services and heading back towards the car, having communicated this to the team. The reason I've got no other memory of it is because I've got amnesia. So I've got complete amnesia from this time till approximately three and a half, four hours later. 
So I get back. So so everything I now tell you is has been put together by yeah. by eyewitness accounts, by um, uh, traffic officers, investigations, and everything else. So what they say to me is, I then got back in my car. I was on my own. I was driving my car. Um, I had no passenger, and I made was making ground it was it was about four o'clock in the morning it was dark it was raining it was a really horrible morning very dark um and they think what i've done is then i've come back out onto the motorway i've headed up and i've gone on the m6 west where in front of me unbeknown to me a car has an accident into the central reservation and whether this guy who's had this accident is wanted or is just worried himself and ran off, we don't know. We, as far as I know, he has never been found or caught. Right. There's rumours that he was a wanted man and ran off because he'd had a crash. The car then rolls back across the motorway in the dark, in the rain, um, and then stops where it's rolling across level one, um, lane one and lane two. So it's side on, and they think probably what's happened is I've been searching ahead, going pretty quickly, seen the fact that this car is in the first and the middle lane. So I've taken the outside lane to avoid the damage. Yeah. But unbeknown to me, as the car's rolled back, it's dropped its engine block in lane three. Oh, my life. So I'm now coming along pretty quickly. RTA in front of me, a crash in front of me, engine block in the dark. I've hit it. Uh, Don't know how fast I was going. I've got amnesia. But there's eyewitness reports from people coming the other way to say that they saw the underside of my car. They saw me fishtailing in the air. They saw me land, spin quite a few times. And then a, a, a Calibra came through the crash and then that hit me. And then another vehicle came through the crash and hit the, the Calibra and, and me. Um, so there's two scenes. There's the initial scene of the car that's rolled in, in the mm. carriageway and then the scene of three more vehicles. Uh, which I am part of, and I am um, in the driver's seat. Um, the next really reliable witnesses that we've got are is the rest of the surveillance team coming through because they're catching up. Right. Uh, they're still not formed up, but they've come through, and the eyewitness accounts from uh, Clive Wells and Barry Cowan, they've come through the first scene, and I think they would say they looked around and, oh, thank goodness, it's none of us, come across the second scene, and look in and obviously see one of our vehicles mm. is in, in the debris and, you know, had to um, suck it up and go, oh, one of us needs to go to the vehicle. I can't remember if it was Clive or Barry, but one of them came to my car expecting the worst to find mm. me, um, you know, deceased, sitting in the driver's seat. Came to the car and to their astoundment could not find me in the car. Really? Wasn't in the car, no blood. There was severe damage to the vehicle. Looked round and I was sitting across the motorway on the Armco. Come over to me and at that point said, Phil, Phil, are you all right? And it's at that point I collapsed. So there's something in your subconscious yeah. keeps you going, fight and flight and all the rest of it. I was obviously functioning but I wasn't safe so I was still functioning. As soon as I'm in a safe place, my body gave up. Uh, I was placed in an articulated vehicle, uh, ambulance was called, 
taken to Nuneaton Hospital, spent ever, several hours in the hospital in the casualty bed. Um, some of the some of the other stories coming across from some of my colleagues now, because they obviously all arrived on scene, realised it was me, all came to the hospital, were all now gathered around my bed, uh, causing an absolute nightmare for the staff. Um, 13, 14, <laughs> yeah, uh, plain clothes, <laughs> coppers, with all sorts of various humour and different mm. situations going on. And um, they were obviously causing a bit of a menace. Um, but I, I awoke to, uh, I'm not very proud of this, but the, the it was a male nurse um, came over, took my vitals and said, oh, Mr. Norton, oh, that's really good. Your your temperature's coming down, your heart rate's coming down. Um, it looks like, you know, you, you're going to be starting. And I looked at him and I said, don't treat me like a mug, mate. You don't come over to me and give me some results and, and make me feel better about myself. Who are you to tell me all this is happening? <laughs> and then he looked at me and went, oh. <laughs> and then looked at everybody around and I'm going, what's, you know, what's going on? Because at that stage, I've got, no, got no idea. idea. I'm waking up in the hospital bed. Um, and I was a bit aggressive. And he said, oh, Mr. Norton, Mr. Norton. Right, this is the eighth time I've taken your vitals. You've been here for two oh, and a half awesome. hours. All your vitals are coming down and you're doing a lot better. And um, I look around me and then a few of the jokers was coming around because one of the other things I was repetitively saying was, where's my boot, where's my boot? Because I, I, I wore Dr. Martin boots or I was sitting in a hospital bed with only one boot on because the force that I'd had to use on myself to get out of the vehicle meant that I'd pulled my leg out of my boot that was stuck underneath my seat. Oh, no. So I kept going on about this. Uh, another couple of the guys, Dave Gibb, Mark Harrison, they got fed up of this. They'd gone back to the scene, couldn't find it, went to where the vehicle's been recovered, found the boot, but they had a real problem in getting the boot to come undone from underneath the car seat. So they've, they've now come in with the, oh, there, Phil, shut up, there's, there's your boot, you know, and all the rest of it. So <laughs> it's all going on, and and, and, and the reason I, 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 this is a significant part of my life, and, and and I've been talking to you a bit about, you know, why do things happen when they do? Why, why do certain people end up, you know, having really bad injuries or dying in certain circumstances? And, and, I, and I, to this day, I don't know why some people fall off of a 14-storey building and bounce and other people... Die. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I've tried to work out why I didn't die that day. I am a man of faith. I've I've led my life on and off with it being at the forefront of my mind or yep. being at the back of my mind or, or being something in me that I'm aware of but I'm not quite consciously aware of what it is. So I've got this time where I've now had this absolute calamity happen in my life, in the dark, in the wet, and I've been taken out and I'm now... When you look at the the pictures of the, of the car, there is no room for me to be sitting in it. I'm a big guy, but I used to sit with my seat quite back. Um, the where the engine has come into the driver's compartment, the steering wheel is now resting on the headrest of of my seat. The the it's all mangled up. The engine compartment is is where my feet should be, and. You know, I I am a big guy. I am not uh, an Olympic gymnast. You can't put me in that predicament and then say, in three swift moves, get yourself out. You know, how on earth 
How does how, it happen? How does it happen? How how does how does just just thinking about it in just small logical terms of how does even my big body even get in that that space yep. that's now left? How do you get out? How do you how do you get across a motorway um, safely? How do you sit there? How does that happen? How does you you picture all the things and, and Barry was really funny because one of the last parts of, of the anecdotes that we, we share and we still to this day, you know, we meet up, we go for a curry, whatever, he, he will say. And you remember, Phil, when we were all standing outside the hospital, he said, well, I think a few of them were having a fag and the uh, the doors, you know, they, they suddenly open, and the outside door, but nothing comes in, nothing goes out. And they shut again. And Barry, who's very, very quick-witted, and he said, that's Phil's visitor. He's gone. His job is done. Brilliant. So for somebody that's faith, he's trying to work this out. I mean, that brings a bit of a lump to my th- yeah, throat. Yeah, of course. And, and as I say, I don't know, you know, the people listening to this, whether there is other things that gone on in their life that they're like, how did that happen? Why did, why, yeah. why then? Why do I, I'm not sitting here and I've never sat here saying to people that I am so special that I needed to be saved by something, no, something that we can't tangibly see or so. I'm, I'm also somebody that's been through life and I've lost people that are very, very dear to me. My, yep. my beautiful sister-in-law died at the age of 52 I mean, it, she's just, she's, she's just, it's ripped us apart. I mean, yeah. if, if I'm honest, you know, we're, we're still, you know, st- she's still living in me, you know, yeah. because the, the, she's just such a beautiful person. And when you look at, you know, the, the, some conversations people have in life, you know, why did, why did some good people die and bad people survive? You know, all those sorts of things yeah. go through your mind at certain times. So I'm not somebody that's sitting here saying, oh, I was such a good person and, and my life, which, has now led into me doing a number of bits for, for charity and, and, and trying to live my life using all the skills that we've learned through yep. our careers and, and trying to use everything we've done to, to, to bring some sort of goodness into community. I'm not sitting there saying, well, because I was this, that and the other, I needed to be... So, I, don't, I don't fully understand how I didn't die that day. No. I've put it together over hours and days and months and and painful reflection because I still have amnesia I don't even understand amnesia how how can how can we not have a memory of four and a half hours of of our life it's just blank Mm. there is a just a gap do you know I don't I mean there's there's people out there that study these things and but they say that when you go through trauma and uh, and you know my dad was involved in a serious road collision in 1979 it's the way of blocking that pain out. Yeah. The pain that you've gone through, because you would have ultimately gone through pain. Yeah. And it, it's, it's you know, whether it's your, a faith that's preventing it or whether it's nature's way, I don't know, but I'm told that that, that happens. Yeah. So, so to, have, to have what I can only imagine to be a most horrendous traumatic experience removed from my consciousness is one thing. Yeah. To survive is another. Oh, absolutely. To, to to 
and and the people that are now talking to me, they're experienced police officers. They are like they've seen it all. They've seen it all. They're, they're, yeah. they're the ones that I. Yeah, there were other people's accounts of the days, members of the public, some professional witnesses that come in and turned and, and, and did the investigation and like look at you as if to say, I don't know how, mate. I don't know how you've... But you're, I sitting, don't know, how you're sitting here. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how you are alive, let alone not completely disfigured yeah. or disabled for the rest. I don't, I don't understand this. There, there was even a investigation, post-investigation, because there was a... Uh, industrial injuries inquiry which I I eventually abdicated from because I found it too painful um, so I said no stop 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 I don't, don't want anything to do mm. with this but even there you know the investigators of that were coming and saying I've seen all the stuff the fact I don't understand this so I'm sort of trying to pick it all together I'm trying to place it together so part of my Christian walk my faith in Jesus and, and 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 something a bit bigger, you know. My my trying to work out the meaning of life, yeah. You know, put it in those simple things. It's it's about going through life in those different circumstances and using our different experiences and the things that we we see and we understand and we feel. Um, trying to trying to explain to people that and and not. And whilst trying to explain to people who I am and what and what I'm about, and not decry other people and put other people down, but I am, but I am not a silly person. I am uh, an experienced police officer that have been through a number of different things, and we've discussed so many things today, which I didn't think we would, but we have. <laughs> um, do you know? And in all that light, you know, somebody that is pretty much feet on the ground looks now a family man, now a granddad like you. Wow, how did all this... Picking my way through life, oh. wondering why there isn't a manual that helps us all deal with different situations that we could just open a book and find out the answer. So we're working things out as we go along. We pick up experiences. We become, I don't know, one day I might even think of myself as being a mature human being. I, I don't know. Maybe I am now. I'm joking. But, you know, what? You, you look at it and you think, well, actually, in saying all of that, I'm also trying to say to people that there was this circumstance, this this traumatic incident that happened in my life that I look at and I can only get myself, if having years of being an investigator and a detective and dealing with some very serious investigations and using all sorts of tactics to get to the to the final outcome, in using all of that, I cannot see and work out in my circumstance, in and that day where I possibly could have died in that traumatic incident, there is no other explanation to me than no. something out of body experience has decided that is not, not your my time. time. Yeah. That is not my time. So it's not his time. I need to intervene. I mean, I joke with people, and, and when I tell this in uh, faith circles or, a, or or I've got a more of a faith uh, audience or a Christian audience, I will say I fundamentally believe that I had two very big angels looking after me that day. And they're not fluffy, you know, winged no. things that, that flitter and flatter around or they're not fairies and things like that. I had two proper geezer angels looking after me that day. Yeah. That, no... We need to get him out. When you look at the photos of the vehicle, the 
the window, the driver's window, is looks like an interpretation could be that it's been pulled down from the top because at the bottom of the uh, the thin bit that goes around the top of the window, both bottoms are snapped. Well, you think of the power that that would need to just pull that down and just snap it. You look at the fact that I, a big guy, have been lifted out, lifted out with such force that my foot has been removed from my boot. Yeah. I've been looked after. I've been taken. I've... Do you know? I've, yes, I was black and blue, and and you know it was it was horrendous. But I had no broken bones. I had no severe blood loss. I've got mental. Some people call it mental health issues, but I call it just amnesia because actually, if I'm really honest, it took me a while to get over it. It took me a while to to drive again. It took me a while to drive in the dark. I did it in stages. Yeah, I drove. I got comfortable driving again. Then I did a bit of driving in the dark until I was comfortable. Then I did a bit of driving in the rain during the day. Then I did a bit of driving in the dark, in the rain. And then slowly, after a period of time, I felt confident in driving again. And, and I'm okay driving now. But you look at all that and I think, well, what is all that about? Yeah. What What was that day about? And in certain circumstances, you know, other people will say, you know, it was the, the powers of darkness trying to take you out. I, I don't want to get into all that. All, all I know is is that that day a traumatic incident occurred, a calamity occurred of which I was involved in, and it, but it just was not my time. And you're lucky to tell the tale. And here I am, having, you know... So how did that sculpt to you? How did that mould you afterwards? I mean, you already had your faith. Yeah. As a child, you had your faith. But you've gone through the rest of your police service maintaining that faith. Were you more overt within within the office at that point? Once you or or did you still? I, I think I think I I became more overt because I had a lot of people around me asking that asking question. questions. Yeah. How how are you still sitting in your? We we we've now witnessed it. We've it's in our faces. Yeah. You know how was people in my private life, people in my family, people that know me, people that. Literally, how? What? And, and then you, you can honestly it. say, "Only God knows." Well, well, yeah, and that's what you have to say. You, you, you know, I, I, for myself, have worked some of it out because that's the nature of the beast. We are investigators. Yeah. We, you know, it's the. To be honest, for me now, it's it's the biggest outstanding investigation I've got in my life. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I, of course. I, I, I've worked really hard at various methods of regaining memory yeah it's, just, it's, it's gone you know i i don't know i don't and i don't know i mean again educated people would tell me whether there is a time when it might all come back it might be the case of no it was so traumatic that that you that you in yourself are keeping it locked up or there are other powers or whatever whatever that is but it made me it gave me a bit of an opportunity to say look lads look I'm not convincing you of any. I'm just telling you the story. Let the story tell itself. And so I've I've a couple of times had the opportunity of, of sharing the story in in with an audience. And my 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 point is is I want you to try and work it out for yourselves. I'm not going to stand in front of you and shout and scream and say this is definitely what happened because 
when you do that, quite often people will go, ah, no, yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? And, and we'll just go away and think, well, no, you, you've told me to believe you. I'm not going to believe you, you know, yeah. because I'm, I'm, I'm pig-headed or my pride says no. So I never do that, but I, 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 I'm quite happy to show the photographs. I'm quite happy to take people through the account and, you know, to, to spend time on, on each individual thing and see whether they've got any um, other... But it's been investigated. It's been reinvestigated. I have gone through it all, and, and I've still spoken to people, and there is no... So it gave me the opportunity of, of sharing in the office. So from that time, you know, it's fairly obvious as to everybody I was working with that I am a man of faith because I talked about it. Yeah. You know, could it be, lads, that that I have been looked after because I, I have this faith? Again, though, trying to convince people, trying to make them understand, not because I feel as if I'm any important than anybody else, because of the the people that I'd lost in my life. Mm. You know, that was very raw in, in me as well. So you, you sort of... It does change you, though. I mean, you know, no, so, so you've, you've, you've got the physical stuff and the mental stuff and all this, you know, you, but then you, you do start to think, crikey, I've got these three beautiful children my gorgeous wife, that could have been the day that they, you know, of of their whole lives changed. It's not yeah. just about you. And then the extended family, my friends, and, mm. you know, it, it, you know, it, it's it's in the blink of an eye, life changes. Well, I, was in, I was in my class, April the 10th, 1979, and my teacher, Mr Pierce, came in, head of year, came in, said, uh, Paul, your mum's on the phone. I went into his office, my mum's on the phone crying, my dad is in intensive care in, in Colchester. He had 96 fractures on his right leg between his knee and the top of his thigh, and they thought they were going to amputate his leg. He's been disabled longer than he's been an able-bodied person. you know. And I can tell you from a, from a, a family point of view, uh, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard for... Us, but it's even harder for him because he's he's ha- having to cope with all the stuff that went with that. Yeah. So no, I, I can understand exactly what you're saying because it is life changing and it's real. And we've it all, is real. We, we, yeah. you know, again, you know, the people listening, they're going to know of circumstances that they've gone through and, and different things have happened in their life, and maybe they're not. It's not caused them to question the meaning of life, and they have those consequences. So this this did for me because of where I was at at that time, and you know, and me trying to put all different bits of it together put yeah. the jigsaw back together again of which is an incomplete jigsaw so I, I you know i don't i don't i don't shout and scream you know from the top of the hill about the circle but i do say you know we're just just maybe you know just for once if you've just heard that story and just want to say well what if you know okay yeah. if if i do put a what if in that i've never done before what does that mean and and that, that i know people in my life that, that will still sit and go, oh, it's a nice story, Phil, but you're talking absolute rubbish. You know, what are you? What, yeah, where are you? And I'll just say, look, I, I am not going to stand here and, and, and lose, lose the will to live by trying to, trying to convince you. It's for you now to take that. Take and just on. Like you've just said, you know, about your, your father and that, you know, whew, why did that happen? You know, and all the rest oh, no. of it. And he's been going through life with this, this thing. But, you know, but you're still here to tell exactly 
Do you know? Exactly. And you've had the privilege of getting to know him yeah, exactly. and share your lives. And he's been watching you yeah. and getting proud of some of your achievement yeah. and, and your brother and, and, and now seeing his great grand. Do you yeah. know? It, that's, it's Absolutely. that whole thing of, of, well, hang on a minute. You know, where, where are we going here? And uh, I mean, I, I joke with my Christian friends, you know, who I say, you know, I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven. Right. Well, I hope because you've got some years ahead of you. I, I do, I do, because I still think that there's some things that I'd like to achieve. But I've also now got two beautiful grandchildren. I've got three children. I've got, um, you know, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, a lovely wife, lovely family. You know, lovely friends, and and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to not see them for many, many years. You know, so so I, I I'm not wishing no no to, to go and ask these, but. I have a list of questions, you know, when I... When meet, you get there. When I meet him at the pearly gates, I, well, hang on a minute, before... Okay, I, I hear you'll let me in, but can I just ask a couple of questions before yeah. I come in? You know, because... <laughs> this interview's been tape recorded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, hope, I might take a tape recorder yeah. with me. Or, or maybe some more, more modern more <laughs> modern funny. way of recording, because I'm not sure we have tape recorders in there. But I, I'll, I'll stick a, you know, MP3 recorder in my pocket and say, Hilarious. look, look, you... I've got some questions. God, why? Why am I? You know, yeah. Why did this happen? Why did? Yeah. Just, just before I come in, because if I once I'm in, I'm just going to be blown away by what's going around. I might forget the questions. Can I just ask before I? Come? <laughs> so let's get to feel that you know you, you've you've got to the point you've retired. Yeah. You're 48, I assume, because you've joined yeah, as a cadet. That's so 48 right. and three 48 quarters. And, yeah, 48 and a half. I went. Young man. Yeah, but very. You haven't wasted your time, have you, mate? In in the in the ten years, you've done an awful lot of wonderful, wonderful things. Let's talk about about the feel on the outside now, because you had a, a very distinguished police career. But let's talk about Phil and the great things that you've done since. Because I'm proud of you, and I'll, and well, I'll come on you. to the yeah, bit that doesn't mean a lot. Actually, I'll come on to the bit that I, you know. You. I'm I'm really proud of the stuff that you do in your community. But to see you on telly. With after the Grenfell fire, yeah, you made me set up. Yeah, I was sitting there, and there's there's my mate. Yeah, and but yeah, let's talk about Phil. Yeah, well, let's talk about Grenfell if that's something. So so yeah, I became, I I, I went to a a talk as we all do, you know, by a local church uh, guy on a thing called Street Passes, and I could see that there was real benefit in mobilising people within the churches of all the different flavours of, of Christianity that there are, of which there are many, to try and encourage people to use all their skills and their gifts like I was being, you know, encouraged. Yep. Post-police post, post police career, you know, you you have got, you know, a number of skills and gifts within you, even if you've not identified them. Um and it doesn't matter what rank you were. It doesn't matter no. actually what what specific role within the police force you did. We do all pick up skills along the way. So I went to this this talk and and they were talking about this thing called street passes, which is about going out into the nighttime economy as Christians to care for people, to care and listen to help is the, is the motto of people in different circumstances where they may have made bad decisions. Or circumstances have changed around them, which which have ended up making them vulnerable. Mm. So I think we can all think of times when maybe we've we've 
made decisions for ourselves, whether we've gone out with the wrong people, we've gone to the wrong place, we've had too much to drink, we've taken a substance, we've got involved in aggravation, we've we've gone in with a bad attitude and, you know, suddenly circumstances have changed around us, we're in an environment we're not sure about, we've got no preconceived way of getting home or suddenly we're like, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're so so... For some of that, some of that is for younger people. It's not all about the young people, though, because there are many um, people that, through their mid midlife, and 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 then you start to look at older people becoming mm -hmm. vulnerable as well. I mean, we have um, several times, you know, come across uh, vulnerable older adults that are going through some maybe some difficult traumatic times or going through some medical conditions where they need a bit of help, you know, maybe to help them home or something like that. Or, you know, we, we've come across people that are wandering the streets for hours and hours and unbeknown to us, family members are out. You know, we've, we've been chatting to one lady in our safe hub one day and, oh, the, oh look, the police helicopter's up tonight. I wonder what they're doing. You know, oh, look, the searchlight is on. So, oh, hang on a minute. I wonder if this is a missing persons inquiry and we're sitting having a chat, chat you know, chatting a cup of tea with the person they're looking for. So we have to touch base and say, hey, are you looking for, we, you know, because we've come across something and uh, it's never quite happened that way, but you, but you do sit there yeah, wondering sometimes. So I've used all those skills to, to, to start locally a group called Street Passers. Street Passers have been in uh, Essex County for over 15 years, South End, Chelmsford, Colchester, um, where local Christians from local churches have decided to go on a course. Um, we teach a number of different things because uh, we take we take from all the different Christian um, denominations, we take people from all walks of life into, as long as they, they are who they say they are, as long as they're willing to come and serve their community in this way, they do it in, in uniform, they go out in threes and fours just for their own safety and security, just to make sure that they're okay and they don't become a problem that the emergency services have got to come in. You, yeah. you know, utilise their skills for. Yeah. Um, we're not the police. We don't go to, to deal with incidents. We're, we're not there to judge anybody. So we, we just do things like, you know, walk along a street, you know, build relationships with people. And if people want to have a conversation about something that they're going through in life, then we'll do that. If we come across some antisocial behaviour, we will try and encourage the people to um, resist or, or or refrain from what they're doing. Yep. Um, if violence has broken out, we just monitor. We don't get involved. We don't go and start pulling people apart. We'll monitor. We'll, we'll deal with any onlookers or any bystanders we'll try and try and prevent the situation becoming worse by more people getting involved uh, and then we can do things like deal with the the aftermath maybe some first aid you know if people need first aid right. or we we um we carry our, our three main things as we we carry bottles of water which are for a bit of rehydration but also it's a great distraction technique uh, we carry lollipops and people think, oh, that's nice, a little bit of sugar and all the rest of it. <laughs> For me, it's about um, men that have lost, uh, the red mist has come and they are speaking or shouting rubbish just to put a lolly in their mouth, just to... Pacify them. Just to shut them up for a couple yeah. of minutes. And we also carry flip-flops for any young ladies that are out and about that can't anymore walk down the street in their high heels. And uh, many, many times we, we've seen that, um, you know, the odd 
the odd injury has been prevented mm. by just putting a pair of flip-flops on. You're not treading in glass. You're not stubbing your toe on a, on a curb. You're not treading in dog poo or anything like that. Do you know, so some really simple, what I call not rocket science techniques for engaging with the local community by keeping the good spirit going in nighttime economies because some nighttime economies is a great place to go for a night out, but it's the 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 bad decisions that people make or the circumstances change where where they become vulnerable or, or yeah do you know I had a really beautiful conversation with a lady one night I mean it was really inappropriate a, a friend of mine who was out and about she was absolutely smashed absolutely out of it and we had the normal hi feel and you know the cuddle and the, and it, you know all that sort of stuff were going on and then she turned around oh this is my friend so and so and um oh phil you don't know her she's just had some bad news yeah she's got cancer and she's gonna have both her breasts removed oh dear and i and i looked at the woman telling me the story and my heart sank yeah i looked at the woman that was that the story was about and my, my heart could have broken right there and right yeah. there because she had nowhere to go. She was being in, she was being, she was just being, I don't know, humiliated, what, whatever the expression, there and then in front of this guy that she'd never met before. And I, so I, I dealt with the lady that, that had told me. And then I looked, I looked at this other lady. I said, oh, I'm so, so sorry that you had to be introduced to me to that way. And she looked at me and she said, it's okay, don't worry. I said, how are you? And uh, she said, well, not great. She said, but I've, I've got to hold it together. I said, well, what's, what, why's that? She said, well, we're actually out for my birthday. And she pointed like 20, 30 yards away. That's my family. That's my children. That's my husband. Oh, and, and I went, okay. And, uh, you know, we're out for the night. So I'm holding it together. She said, I'm not great. She says, I'm really, really sad that I've got this and I'm going to have to have some serious. And I don't normally do this, but I, I see no, normally we wouldn't put people on the spot. Normally I'd say to somebody, you know, can I add you to my prayer list for tonight? Because I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that we can change atmospheres by, by making petitions to the higher authority that, you know, yeah. depending on whether you believe it or not, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not, again, I'll just share things as I see them. And, um, so, but I looked at her and I said, do you mind if I pray, pray for you? And she said, I absolutely loved that. And she was on the verge of breaking. And I said, don't, don't break. I said, I understand that you've got to hold it together. And now is not the time. I said, but can I pray for you right now? And, and we, we chuckled because we looked around. We're in the middle of the high street. It's 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 dark, but there's hundreds of people around. Yeah. There's cars up and down and all the rest of it. So she said, I would really love that. And I had the absolute privilege of praying for her right then, just for some peace, just for some security, just to, to know that her children were okay. And I can't remember what I said, but it was a real privilege just at that moment, at that time, just to share with her. Um, not sure if I gave her a cuddle because normally that's inappropriate, but <laughs> I, I think I, I might have allowed myself to do that. And she just she just went away and no, just said thank you. Feel. Do you know, and it's just, it's those little anecdotes that you add them all together and you just think, and, and I said to you earlier that, that, that life for me is about celebrating good news, celebrating, you know, giving the voice 
to the things that are going on that are unseen, the thousands and thousands of things that go on in our communities. Yeah. I mean, one of my one of my stories about COVID is to see that the way that communities came together. Oh, huge. To see the way that people were supporting each other. Streets having WhatsApp groups, streets coming out to support the NHS, streets coming out to 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 talk to people in a safe environment, you know, yeah. coming out with their deck chairs and talking to the neighbours. Find out you, you suddenly saw this community spirit at yeah. its best, yeah. at its very best. And that to me is about telling the good news story. I mean, the good news story for those of us that believe in faith is a good news story about Jesus and Jesus coming to, to the world to give us all a yeah. chance to to get saved and, and to, to turn away from our ways. That That's his good news message. But the good news message of our towns and our communities and, and the good spirit that we've got, it's just incredible. You know, you, you, I think we've all got stories from COVID. COVID was a very sad horrible time oh, yeah, and, it and, and took us all through things that we we never thought we'd experience in life and people have ex, uh, you know said well, it must have been a bit like that in the blitz you know coming out of the blitz and like looking at the devastation and and people dying and, and yeah. you know all that sort of stuff so it's the similar emotions for some i, I can't say because i don't i i don't remember but that. do you think there's a paradox now because we did go through that being nice to everybody and, and what have you. And now we're almost back to where we were. And I've noticed it uh, around some of the public events I've worked at at the, at the football grounds. And there's a lot less patience with people. Yeah. You know, there's been an increase in violence in, in some sectors within the football world. Um, and I think people have just become so impatient. Yeah. Whereas... T- two years ago when we were going through all the COVID issues, everybody, you know, if you wanted a cup of tea, if you ran out of anything, somebody would be throwing loo rolls over the fence. You know, that's, that's how it got. But now exactly. it's, we're back to our, almost our selfish selves. And it, and it does happen very quickly because it is very, you know, it is very tribal. It is very, you know, what's everybody else doing? What am I getting involved in, etc. Yeah, it is. But I still, still think that even in those times, even in that, you know, there's times of when we're, you know, we're looking at, you know, wars around the world. We're looking at, you know, people still coming to this country on the back of dinghies, you know, take, risking their lives to, to come. You look at all those circumstances and, and none of us have got all the answers for everything and I, and I don't ever, you know, tell people that I have. But you look at all those circumstances, you look at the where we are, we still, still should remember that when all that is going on, there is still good stuff going on as oh, well, yeah. and to to keep that balance, keep it in our minds that you know I I hear things happening. You know I'm not living in a some ridiculous bubble of good news stories, and you know it's all right for you because you don't go through. No, I'm 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 constantly aware of things around me, and and you know locally, nationally, you know, we're we're trying to we're trying to change the atmospheres in Essex as another group I'm involved in, uh, Transformation Essex and, and Love Essex, where we are trying to sort of say, look, there's some good news stories in Essex. Yeah, Let's not- celebrate. Yeah. Let this is not all silliness and negativity. I mean we're all aware of some shows that have been on that show Essex and Essex people in a very funny 
but poor light at the yeah. end of the day. We, we have become a bit of a laughing stock. Well, I belong to these two two groups that are saying, how what do we love about our county? What's the history of our county? How do we how do we redress the balance in changing the atmospheres in our local villages, in our towns, in our boroughs, in our in our cities? Three of you know, we got three cities now. You know, yeah. how are we changing the atmosphere so that we can feel positive and feel? I go, you know, abroad on holiday, and somebody says, "Where are you from?" I can, I can I'm from, I'm, I'm from Essex. Essex, and I look forward to the day they go, "Oh, oh, I hear that this is happening in Essex, and yeah. I've heard this good news story, and oh, I see that you're doing this in Essex, and do you know what? I never knew that that was where you know radio started. Mm. I never knew the history of that. Oh God, the Mayflower. Oh, I never oh, knew no. that was. A, do you know we've got some incredible rich history Huge. that we we allow to forget because we've joined this other narrative of like looking down and, and feeling a bit silly about white socks, sandals, you know, yeah. dancing around handbags, and you know the only way is Essex. We, we that that is all a giggle. But actually, if we embrace that and that becomes who we are and what we celebrate, we actually just join a, a, a negative narrative. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at it. We've got the, the longest pier yeah, in Southend. Still. The, May, the Mayflower set sail, was built in Harwich, set sail from Harwich and picked up the Pilgrim Fathers down the coast. Exactly. It's, but it started here. Exactly. John Constable, one of the finest artists in the world of all time, was from Essex. Exactly, and we just but it yeah. gets it gets mopped. And up then you start looking at art, you start looking at music. Yeah. You look at some of the music that's come out yeah. of this county. You look at some of the people that are for, are of significance in their own areas of influence. Yeah, you know, you look at some policy. You look at some of the politicians we've got at the moment. Whether you believe with their politics, whether you think they're useless or, or shoot themselves and so we've got a number of high profile politicians yeah. currently in this county that live here. You know, you've got one just living just down the down yeah, the road. It was on the telly yesterday. Yeah. You know, so they they are speaking into the life of the the country and the nation, and they are from Essex. Yeah. You know, so it's we we've got a lot to give thanks for in, oh, in this county. So we're just trying to get that narrative going. And so I do that in a bit of my. my so spare how did you time. get involved with Grenfell? Grenfell. Cool, that's where we started. No, that's I where we started. Forgot. No, that's Sorry, right. Paul. That's good. That's, no, my, don't be daft. It's my good. My mind rattled on no, there. No, no, no. I forgot. So Grenfell is very much, so from a street pastor perspective, what we also do is is those of us that want to volunteer to be on a call-out list to go to places of emergency need, that you can be on a list and you're on a call-out list. So I'm on that call-out list. I'm called a response pastor within the... Re- re- so we are trained street pastors, but we also take on a little bit of extra tuition about, well, what would you do in an emergency circumstances? Because, again, we're not the emergency services. We're not rushing into the inner cordons. Um, what can we bring? What can what can we do? So Grenfell uh, came at a time where I was available so I got the call, Phil, we've got this going on. Um, would you mind being part of a team that can go and help the local community and the local church community start to deal with some of the effects for which Grenfell at that time? So I was there on day one. And day one is about all the other people that are now impacted by what is going on. So outside of the fact that the place is still burning, that the emergency services are still dealing with a horrendous situation. What about all the people that have been displaced? What about all the people that are 
in the community horrified at what's happening on their doorstep? Mm. What are we doing about all the bystanders and the spectators that come from a long way away? I mean, I oh, was yeah. I was shocked at some people, you know, hi, how are you? Are you okay? You know, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm from so-and-so and I've, I've travelled all the way here. And I'm like, do you really think it's appropriate, you know, that you should be here? Because there's a lot of people here that, you know, the emergency services are trying to deal with and help and, you know, you do you think possibly you're you're adding to the the problems? You know, yeah. you know, of needing water and being helped and and all the rest of it. So and it, it was hot. It was a hot day, wasn't it? It was I mean, incredibly hot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we arrived. So my first team. So I ended up arriving. Um, became the team leader on day one. Sent out. I think it's four groups of response passes. So we we'd had quite a, a lot of people say, "Oh, we're available." So I think I, it was a group of anything between 12 and 14 that I sent out four different four different directions all into the community all around just trying to make sure that that nobody was getting missed so we were coming across people that were just just sitting in you know in gardens on walls and just you know lost completely yeah, lost absolutely. completely like what is going still the ash is still coming down the place is still on fire mm. it was on fire for days you know so we're looking up this horrendous. There's still emergency activity. The, the, they're doing their best. You have got things like tea wagons start to to rock up for for different organisations, that sort of stuff. So we were we were there very emotional four days. Oh, I didn't realise. I can imagine. I didn't realise. So I, I was there for for four days in the end. I mean, at the end of it, I sat on my couch. I can remember um, my wife came back from from work, and I just wept, absolutely wept, mm. um, like a baby. Because what I'd seen and what I'd experienced was absolutely horrific. Um, the last time I'd wept like that was, you know, when I was during the job and one of our colleagues died on a football pitch, you know, in front of me, you know, and that was that was horrendous. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, those uncontrollable tears, I just wept. And my children came in and they just sat on my lap and they just looked at, you know, looked at Daddy as if saying something's. <laughs> Something's not not right. Here. Do you know, just to yeah. see the the sheer helplessness of people, and then the aftermath of people that wanted to rush in and help and they couldn't, and then the families and the friends turning up. There were there were day four. You know, people, family members walking around with posters of their loved ones. Can anyone has anybody seen this? And you know, in your heart of hearts, that. You know, that, that, that person was, if they're in there, they're, they're, they're no longer with us. Mm. And the, the family's clinging on to that last thread of hope mm. and then going to the wall where the names are getting posted and then the screams and, and the, the the prayers of people that was just coming out. It was horrendous. So and it, you're talking about multi-faith as well, aren't you? These are not all, all Christian. Absolutely. You know, you've, yeah. you've got every denomination under oh, the sun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and one of the local mosques was doing an amazing, all their doors were open. Yeah. Uh, local temple, the doors were open and there was people, there was there was um, Kausa Aid, which was another organisation. They turned up because they were, and the Sikhs were, were mobilised. They They were bringing stuff and they, they were bringing like soup wagons and, and like they were making food and just giving it to anybody. There was yeah. no questions about... Didn't matter you know, where you were from. No, 
no. who, who you were and whatever. If you were there in the queue, then you're indicating I, I just need some help. Yeah. So amazing. And the amazing generosity, again, looking at the, the spirit we talked about earlier of uh, over COVID, the spirit and the local community and then outside the local with clothes and stuff, they were awash with clothes and things for the for the displaced families within about three days. They couldn't cope with any more really? deliveries. And there's a big logistical thing then that needs to kick in yeah. to sort out, you know, the bits and pieces, some of it inappropriate, some of it just needed chucking away. But the vast, vast majority of people being generous with their stuff that, that they want to, what can I do? Fabulous. Oh, I can, I can send some stuff that I no longer need, you know. So I, do, I just think that in, in all of this and... and you know, these conversations make me think that, you know, they're, they're in communities there is such a good spirit that is out there that we just need to we need to celebrate it and say, share that a bit more than, than we do and not get downtrodden by some of the more negative narratives that are going on around us. And Grenfell was one where I could be part of a, a, a good team that were trying to do some stuff. We, we you know, we try and do that and, and, you know, COVID has brought us food banks and the acceleration of food banks, community superstores, all that sort of stuff where we can all do a little bit just to keep the good narratives going, share yeah. the good news stories. And because you, you work within the food banks as well, don't you? You, you help out in the, in the food banks. Yeah, so so it, during COVID I helped um, the expansion of our local food bank and, and got it into... Um, more fit for purpose premises. It was in a, a small cupboard at the beginning of COVID, and then the 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 influx of donations, the influx of need, the more people that needed help, meant that the whole food bank thing just expanded. So I was involved in that. Now moved to um, running a community supermarket in in Landon, which is about um, we, we've received some money from the Essex uh, County Council to. To, to open it up, it, it's in the middle of food banks and supermarkets. It's it's a low cost. Right. You still got to to purchase, but it's all at very very reduced rates. Right. Okay. To help people that are on, you know, that are struggling because obviously COVID has hit us. But now the whole thing about utilities bills mm. and, the, and the price of living, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of need. So there are different ways that we can use different skills, different finances, different uh, intentional models to help people that are in those situations. And, of course, Billericay Town. Are you still involved at Billericay Town Football Club? I am. I am still a football pastor at the football club. I haven't been for for a little while. I've moved house um, over the last few months. And what we do in the community supermarket and the yeah, street passes, I just find that sometimes just some of the things that uh, – so I also like – uh, being part of the walking football team at Billericay Town. Well, I haven't played and uh, right. I haven't played for months, but I'd like to get back to that at some stage. I interviewed Paul Nichols last week, who's a dog handler, and he's got Parkinson's now and he does walking football. That's right. I saw that on your. your brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. It's a. Walking football for those of us that are getting a little bit older, but we've always loved the game. We've loved playing it, but we we can no longer run and, and yeah. you know without straining something. To be part of that whole culture and still be able to kick a ball around with rules, with you know scoring goals, with the camaraderie. I've met so many new people as well that I wouldn't have met no, unless unless I went down there with me with me Astro boots on and me, me shorts and everything. It's great. It's great fun. Has there ever been a time, Phil, where you've questioned your faith, though? 
I mean, you're very passionate about it, and 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 you know, it saved your life. Let's let's face yeah. it. But yeah. but has there ever been a time where you thought actually is is there a God out there? I don't th- I don't think that has been my question. My my question is sometimes is in my frustrations of when injustices do occur and then and then you see things happen and then I think my question is more God where are you you know one of my, one of my sillier questions is you know God has, has this caught you out you know on your watch did you know that this was going to happen yeah. you know or why have you allowed this to happen you know it's a bigger thing you know when you look at a tsunami or something like that uh, yeah. do you know the the complete and for me I think it goes back to the why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. And I know that's a very childish, very superficial thought. But if you if you do start to believe in, you know, good versus evil and Star Wars and, you know, all that rest of that, you, know, you, you think of it like that and you think, well, you know, good will prevail. In our looking at things in in a big strategical way you know take a step back and think of it on a and i can't think of it on a global scale because i go to other countries that are a completely different culture to mine it takes a while to understand the culture and the you know the the life of things and the expectations of the people that are around so it's it, that's difficult for any one cultural individual to go and understand the whole cultures of other um areas but I think in myself, in my deep self, I've believed in a creator God, in order in the world. I think I've always believed that. And I, th- and I don't question, like, you know, getting it real down to finer detail. You know, just looking at the human body as an example, the complexities of the human body, how it how it works, you know how oxygenated blood goes around, and and j- j- I am not, as I said to you several times, an academic, a biologist, all the rest of it, but I sit back in wonder at the human body. Then I see other things. Then I see other examples in nature. I see other things happening in the world, and mentally, when you start to go down that line, and faith is about not having all the answers lined up. If you could do all of that, it's just uh, an academic cranial exercise for me. Therefore, you wouldn't need faith. You wouldn't need faith in something that you don't understand or or is unseen or is in existence and you don't quite see it. I don't know if I'm making sense, but do you know, it, 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 yeah. it, the whole point of a religious way of thinking although religion is for those people within it within christianity is a is a is a bad term because religion is all the rules and all the expectations that humans have put on expressing that you know because we we are creatures of order so to put order together within a faith you end up demonstrating it you know this is how we're going to organize it you know we're going to meet on a sunday morning this is the building we're going to have somebody that leads somebody that does this somebody that does that somebody that takes the the collections you know somebody needs to look after the fabric of the building somebody needs to look after the kids somebody looks like got to do the t's do you know we in our order have put religion in the way of 
the purest sense. So, so like I've said to you, I don't try and convince too many people by by words. I prefer for the way I live my life and the, and the things that I try and do, try and tell as much of the story as possible, then if somebody actually wants to talk to me about matters of faith, I'm happy to do that, but I'm not I'm not somebody that will rock up and thrust it in your face. Um, so I, I very gently, if somebody wants to talk to me about, you know, a circumstance or, you know, what do you think about this or what does the Bible say about that, then, then I can engage with that. I, I'm not saying I'm not somebody with, with no answers. I haven't got all the answers. So I'm just somebody that's trying to do my best to do my bit to follow. I, I fundamentally, at my core, believe that the world was created, that humans were not a mistake. They weren't uh, as a result of a uh, an accident, a calamity, a, 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 a big bang, that, or, or genetics, or, you know, whatever's the strongest, the survival of the fittest and things like that. I don't believe that. So I believe that there is an intentionality around who we are and what we're about. What is the meaning of life? You know, how are we? I think the, the you know, the fundamentally what we are are made for is to to be in relationship with other human beings and also to be in relationship with the the creator being. Um, so there's all that sort of stuff that goes along in my mind. So I don't think I've ever questioned it. What I do do have questions about is the circumstances where I see you know, somebody get hurt that, that didn't deserve it when yeah. I see, you know, atrocities happen across the world because at the moment, you know, we, and again, we have to be cautious because we are very, we are fed a very Western narrative through our Western media and we, we, we see what's going on in the world through an interpretation that is given to us by sometimes by different organisations or, or different structures that are, paid for in a different way or, or, or politicised in a certain way and or even, you know, in a, in a religious sort of way, you know, what, so what is the truth of things that are happening around the world? I mean, you watch different news channels, you'll get a different perception yeah. than watching BBC and ITV all the time. You know, you watch Sky, you watch Al Jazeera, you know, what are they saying? Well, what's their narrative about this? And you think, oh my goodness, well, we're not even receiving that news no. in this country. So this is, there is always stuff going on. But I'm not a great, massive... Um, uh, alternative thinking theorist. I just try and keep it very simple. I try and uh, lead the life that I'm supposed to lead. And I do sometimes, you know, think, right, okay, just remember, if your car crash was a moment in time where you were saved rather than happened to survive, if you were, say, for a reason... Try and work out what that reason was. Try and use your time wisely. Use the skills that you've been given wisely, the connections that you've been given. It, I mean, a lot of people call it the, the circle of your influence. Um, so, that, you know, my influence is the people that are around me, the people I brush shoulders with, the people that I chat to, the people that I help, um, the people that I say, you know, do you think that's the best way of doing that? Because actually, if you did it like this and like that, that you might get a bit more benefit from from your dollar. Uh, oh, that's a good idea, Phil. You know, and we can speak into those situations mm. with with the lives and the skills that we are being given. Fantastic. 
Well, Phil, before I conclude this interview, is there anything you'd like to add? Or is this an interview? Well, oh, I'd forgotten. Yeah, no. It's a, it's I thought a, we were just chatting. It's a lovely conversation, <laughs> mate, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, you've brought a tear to my eye, and I, I'm, for that I'm really grateful. But is there anything else you'd like to say before we stop this? No, I just, um, you know, is is quite cathartic to have these opportunities to and and it's quite um quite a privilege you know in the business of life just to sit here with you and just to to reminisce like that i'm going to be i don't know how long we've been going on but i don't you know this is probably too long for people to bear to listen to so you know i don't know what you're going to do with it once it's done but but just uh the opportunity just maybe to reflect for this short period of time in our lives just to keep our eyes on on telling a good news story and, and keeping things you know celebrating though the things around us that we that we know that we we want to continue and we want to encourage rather than getting brought down by the negative mm. atmospheres and the the narrative that just says do you know what you shouldn't sit by and put up with that because you've got rights in this and you've got a voice and all the rest of it yes we have but think cautiously about wanting everybody to hear your opinion if it's not been asked for. And then when you deliver it, just try and be just try and be reasonable and balanced and, and take care of other people's opinions and views as well. Absolutely. Well on that note, mate, I'm gonna press that red button. Thank Thanks, you mate. very much for your time today. It's been a privilege. I'll go and put the kettle on. Hey, shall we? <laughs> <laughs>